Hi, and welcome to episode 24 of Five Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. This episode features another Eldorado rum. Now, covering the fourth Eldorado rum in only 24 episodes may sound excessive, but Demerara rum plays an important part in the cocktails I mix the most. And more importantly, once I found Eldorado 8-year, it replaced Eldorado 5 and Eldorado 12 as my mixing Demerara rum of choice, though I still keep the 12 in the bar for top shelf applications and for sipping, as you do. Oh, and I'll talk a little bit about spindle or milkshake mixers, and then mix a custom creation called the Sea of Sin. All right, and before I get into the Eldorado 8 proper, um, I want to do a couple of thank yous. Um, This is a little bit over one year in starting the podcast, uh, Five Minutes of Rum. Um, I didn't really have too particular of a plan when I started doing this, other than I wanted to podcast and I wanted to talk about rum. and we've made it 24 episodes in in just a little over a year. So it, whether this is your first time listening or if you've listened for the entire past year, thank you very much for tuning in. Hopefully you've found something out about rum, or at the very least, you've made a good cocktail or two. Um, and thank you to those that have rated the show. Those of you that have sent in, um, there's I've had scanned articles sent in. I've had um, other things, you know, other things dropped in either via the website or via email. I really appreciate the feedback. It's good to know that people are listening and enjoying. Um, I also want to say thank you to uh, Digitiki from the Quiet Village podcast who helped me out a lot with technical and sound questions when I first started doing the show a a year ago. Uh, Please go check out his podcast at digitiki.com or it's also known as The Quiet Village over on iTunes. Um, A great podcast that gets really, really deep into exotica and other uh, subgenres of that style of music. So if you are interested at all, in Polynesian pop culture and exotica music, please go check that podcast out. And then I also want to say congratulations to the Zen Tiki Lounge, who just recently passed their 300th episode of their podcast, which believe me is no small feat. Um, And particular thanks to Sunshine Tiki, host at uh, Zen Tiki Lounge, who was another one of those who generously shared tips with me when I was first starting out on this show. Uh, And not only that, but he's been gracious enough to mention my show several times on the Zantiki Lounge over the past year. So to the Zantiki Lounge, I say, mahalo. All right, so let's talk Eldorado 8 and Demerara rum. So in previous episodes, uh, episode 8, we uh, talked about Eldorado 5-year. And then on episode 12, talked about Eldorado 21 and Eldorado 12-year. But as a quick recap, I'll link to those episodes in the show notes, or you can go back on the website and pull those episodes. But as a quick recap, Uh, Demerara is named for the former Dutch colony on Guiana. Demerara rum is an English-style rum with a strong molasses underpinning. Uh, Ties back to its origin in sugarcane fields from Demerara slash Guiana, hence the name. Uh, They are often a combination of both pot and column stills, although they do not have to be. Um, And in fact, it is very similar to Jamaican rum in in style um, with perhaps additional smokiness, and some unique aspects related specifically to the stills that are used and the aging that are used in the production of that rum. Indeed, the most common word you'll hear with this rum, especially the old lemon heart, the old lamented lemon heart is the word smoky, um, and a close second would be the word deep. Uh, Demerara rum is a, as I mentioned in the intro, a very common ingredient in tiki cocktails and something really that you wanna, you're gonna wanna have on hand if you're mixing from either the Beach Bumberry or Trader Vic cocktail book library. Uh, again, inside the so this is a recap from episode five, but inside the United States, distribution of Demerara rum is controlled primarily through one brand, El Dorado. The rum is distilled by Demerara Distillers Limited, located in Guyana. Uh, they do produce a lot of rum and distribute it to others for you know their own purposes, uh, 
And as of 1992, uh, they started their own brand called El Dorado. Uh, the other brands of Demerara rum to be found, uh, there, there are other brands of Demerara outside of El Dorado, but all of the rum that makes up a Demerara rum comes from Demerara Distillery Limited, who owns the El Dorado brand. Um, and then those other, those other producers or distributors, not, not, not distributors, the other producers who buy up rum from Demerara Distillers Limited, they'll get their own individual flavor and character through the way that they age it and blend it. And that's how they differentiate their rum from, say, the rum that Demerara Distiller, Distillery Limited makes, the Eldorado. So all Demerara rum comes from Demerara Distillery Limited, who own Eldorado, but not all Demerara rum is Eldorado. Everybody got that? Because there'll be a quiz later. So where does the eight fit in the Eldorado line? Um, again, in episode eight, I talked about the Eldorado five because of the rums in the Eldorado line, it is a good mixing rum for tiki cocktails, and it is relatively easy to find at most well-known liquor stores. Um, if you live anywhere near BevMo, you're going to find that. Um, I don't know how common it is outside of the United States, and I know there are some listeners to this podcast outside the U.S., but in the U.S., Eldorado 5 is probably the easiest of the Eldorado line to find. And while the 5 is good, I found the 8 is better. So upon first tasting it, I found it similar to my memories of the now defunct in the U.S. Uh, Lemon Heart 80, in fact. So I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. El Dorado blends the eight from aged rums from at least four of their many stills. Um, aged, it's aged eight years in used whiskey and bourbon barrels. And as you may expect, it's meant to be a little heavier than the five, but not as much so as the 12. Uh, the 8 is somewhat new to the market compared to the other rums in their line, although it's been available commercially since October of 2009. Uh, and now that I can find it, it's completely replaced the 5 on my shelf. Um, I still buy the 12 um, for the occasional top shelf cocktail, like if I'm going to make a three dots and a dash. Um, the Eldorado 12 makes a great accompaniment for that, along with a sort of a top shelf uh, Martinique rum. Um, and then I also often have uh, just straight neat rum of Eldorado 12 for sipping. The eight, uh, when it comes to mixing, just imparts more of that Demerara thing that gives a good cocktail more dimension and depth than the five does. Uh, I've also linked to the re a review of the Eldorado eight rum on the website, A Mountain of Crushed Ice. Um, I've mentioned this website before, but if you haven't already, go check it out for the review of the Eldorado eight and for a couple of additional cocktail recipes that feature Eldorado eight. Um, and from the research that Helena of A Mountain of Crushed Ice has on her website, um, I also learned that the stills that were used primarily for the Eldorado 8 are the, well, it's primarily wood column still, and then a little bit of the double wooden pot still, as well as two different metal column stills. And then the way it works with the Eldorado rums is as you climb up the Eldorado ladder from 8-year to 12-year to 15-year and so on, the percentage of pot still rum goes up, which in turn gives the rum more of that funkiness, more body and more depth. Uh, incidentally, the Eldorado 5 is all column stilled. So the Eldorado 8 uh, particularly is a bo is bottled at 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. Um, it is not as common to find as say an Eldorado 12, 15 or a 5 in the store, although better liquor stores will stock it. Um, if not, you can ask them to carry it, see if they can order it. Otherwise, if it's not available locally, uh, you may want to try and order it online. I know that High Time Liquor in Costa Mesa, California, uh, they always have it in stock. I frequently will order it from them to have delivered, although liquor laws are varied and are difficult, and you may want to consult your own before you log on to a website and see if you can have it shipped to you. But 
I would seek it out. It's worth seeking out as opposed to just going down to uh, the local liquor store and getting the Eldorado 5. And again, not to harp on it too much, but if you're going to make any sort of classic tiki cocktail, you're going to need a Demerara rum. And I've found that the Eldorado 8 is the kind of the go-to at this moment or at this time. Uh, tasting notes. So uh, when it comes to tasting the Eldorado 8, I'll start with the appearance. Uh, in a glass, it looks like a, you know, a grade A maple syrup amber color. Um, and then when you swirl it around in a glass, it does build, you know, somewhat long, slow legs as it, you know, crawls down the glass. In terms of aroma, I uh, pick up a little bit of sweetness, maybe, you know, sort of a honey smell and just a little bit of smoke and spice, although it's it's pretty subtle. And then once it's swirled in the glass, uh, I pick up a little bit of uh, astringency, a little bit of that alcohol smell on your nose. Not not too bad, nothing that's going to burn for sure, uh, but you do pick up a little bit of that um, alcohol warning sign that, hey, this is not just water. Um, there's a very small hint of banana, I think, the, the, more I, the more I smell it. I think one of the things I've noticed when tasting rums, either you know, well, by myself and without any professional guidance, um, is that if I don't try too hard and I keep going back and smelling the glass over and over again to smell the aroma, and again, I'm not trying too hard, I might pick up something more subtle that I wasn't picking up before. Um, probably a byproduct of not having a more professional technique, but there it is. Uh, Taste-wise, I found the Eldorado 8 to be smooth, have a, a medium body, which is definitely thicker than I, what I remember when sipping the 5. Um it's not dry like a Puerto Rican or a Dominican rum, uh, but it's also not overly sweet like the Zaya rum that we've had in a past episode. There's a little bit of woodiness and a little bit of brown sugar, which is probably natural for a Demerara rum. And it sparkles a little bit on the tongue when you uh, before settling back in the throat. Um, and in terms of finish, I found it to be a relatively easy finish with you know very little heat, but eventually it kind of shows up and just hangs out in the back of your throat for a while. So you don't really notice it at first and then it lingers around. Um, and to, to sum up, I think this is similar to the plantation five year that, uh, the Barbados rum from episode one, that's, it's that good rum. That's great for mixing and just as good for sipping. Uh, so it, it occupies a really good place in your bar because for not a ton of money, you're going to get a very versatile rum that you can again, use for many cocktails and, or just sipping if that's the way you want to consume it. Um, the 12 and up, like the 15, the 21, are probably overall better rums, especially if you're just talking about you know sitting back in a chair and sipping and eat out of a glass. But if I was going to stock one Demerara rum in my bar, this would probably be the one that I would stock. Now, I mentioned a little while ago that I think that this, I thought that this was the closest approximation on the market uh, to the Lemonheart 80. Lemonheart 80, until a couple years ago, was the go-to uh, Demerara rum in the United States. Uh, when I say, well, I should rephrase that. Lemonheart was the go-to brand for Demerara rum, and the two big ones were the 80, which was the standard mixer, and then the 151, which we talked about the new and the old back in an earlier episode of Five Minutes of Rum. Anyways, so once I had the, I knew that the Eldorado 5 didn't taste like Lemonheart 80 when I had it. Uh, when I when I tasted the Eldorado 8, that sort of felt to me like maybe it was the closest approximation to Lemonheart 80 that I hadn't had in a while. I still have a couple of bottles in my bar, but I don't use it very often. Um, so again, with that assumption, that sort of assumption that I've had for the last year or two, um, let's go ahead and do a taste test here and see if that comparison actually holds up. We've got two glasses, got two glasses here, one of Lemonheart 80 and one of Eldorado 8. Um, if I look at it both in the bottle and in the glass, the Lemonheart 80 is notably darker with 
a more of a reddish brown color, uh, so they don't look the same in the glass. Um, in terms of aroma, the Lemonheart 80 is definitely drier and the Eldorado 8 a little bit sweeter. Um, I do want to say though, the Lemonheart 80 though is, I'm sorry, Lemonheart, the Eldorado 8 is not a sweet rum. It just, you know, compared to a drier rum, it feels or it smells a little bit sweeter. Uh, the Lemonheart has a little bit more astringency and yes, the Lemonheart 80 does have a hint more smoke in it when you smell it. Um, I would say the Eldorado is more soil than smoke on the aroma. Um, and then when you taste it, um, let's see, let me take the lemon heart 80. Mm. The lemon heart 80 definitely has more of that alcohol touch. It's drier, woodier and smokier, uh, but very remarkably similar in body and the overall style. Um, I think also the lemon heart 80 finishes quicker, whereas the Eldorado eight finishes quick and comes back to hang out. I don't get as much of that from the lemon heart 80. So, uh, you know, as, as a one for one comparison, I think if you had these rums and didn't know which was which, you would definitely be able to tell them apart, even if you thought they were a similar style. Um, and I still think the Eldorado eight is a close enough approximation because it's a similar style, but they're definitely not a one for one trade off. You're not getting the exact same thing one for the other, but since lemon heart 80 is no longer on the market in the U S Eldorado eight's the way to go. All right, so let's talk a little bit about a spindle or a milkshake mixer. First of all, what is it? Um, a milkshake mixer, if you picture a diner from the 50s and you have a metal cup and a couple of scoops of ice cream in it and you know you have a little bit of milk and then somebody shoves that up into what uh, looks like a metal rod with some, uh, actually kind of looks a little bit like the swizzle stick in a, in a previous episode, but you know shoves that up uh, with, into a metal rod turns it on, a motor turns the thing real fast, and it sort of mixes it up from the top down, if you will. Um, that's a milkshake mixer. Um, I've recently read in the latest issue of Tiki Magazine, there was an interview with Blair Reynolds. He referred to it as a spindle mixer, which seemed to make a lot of sense to me, even though I often called it a milkshake mixer and then had to sort of retcon it and let people know I was talking about something I would make drinks with and not ice cream desserts. But nonetheless, they are the similar thing. Um, I have a picture and a link to the one I have in the show notes. It's a wearing um, if you search for spindle or milkshake mixer on Amazon, you'll find any number of them. They're they're not exactly the cheapest component that you have, but let's let's get to that in a moment. First of all, um, why would you have this? Um, you would have this because it, you want to use it to make recipes that originated um, from a bar or restaurant, and that that, re that recipe called for a crushed ice. Um, and maybe that classic recipe was formulated to a certain amount of dilution that was getting from crushed ice and this type of mixer. Um, and so if you were to use this type of mixer compared to a normal kitchen blender, which has a bigger capacity, um, probably higher horsepower, bigger blades, uh, something that's actually going to obliterate your drink, um, it's going to come out diluted a little bit differently. And remember, when you talk about a cocktail, dilution isn't a bad word. It's just you want to get the dilution right. You know, a recipe calls for crushed ice because it's, it's expecting crushed ice, or it's called for, it calls for a cube ice because it's expecting cube ice. So anytime you can get closer to the way the recipe was originally formulated, you're going to get closer to what the drink actually was. Um, and kitchen blenders are not typically used um, except for larger scale drinks. Um, another bonus of using the spindle mixer is that you have a smaller capacity and it's easier to clean. Um, I don't particularly like cleaning the kitchen blender because it's, you know, uh, more parts to take apart as opposed to just having the spindle and the metal cup. Um, 
And the technique that you use with the with the milkshake mixer or the spindle blender is something that Beach Bumberry has referred to as flash blending. Um, that's where things are going to get chilled quickly without an excessive dilution. Um, and again, it's not going to obliterate the ice like if you put it in a kitchen blender. So typically in a an old Don the Beachcomber recipe, it's going to be some elements of booze and mixers and you know, Pernod and splash of bitters. And then it's going to call for anywhere from a quarter ounce to a cup of crushed ice. And typically that's going to be run through that flash blender for five seconds, no more, no less, and then poured out. Usually it's not strained, but that's how they get the dilution, you know, closest to the way it was made, um, you know, when it was originated. If I had to, again, if I had to rank um, extra, quote unquote, extra components for a home bar, I'd definitely get something like an ice crusher first, um, and then I'd move on to this tool. Uh, because with crushed ice, you can still do things like, you know, I mean, you, you can shake it, you can use the kitchen blender and not, you know, and closely approximate the results. I think the ice, getting the ice the right shape is the first order of business. And then you can go on to how you're going to mix it um, with thing you know, if you're getting the shades of gray between a kitchen blender and a, and a spindle mixer. Um, but if you once, I, I will caution you, once you have the spindle or the milkshake mixer, and you make a lot of drinks with it at home, if you go to 10 bars somewhere else, whether it's a friend's house or a party or something like that, and you don't have it, um, you're going to be a little disappointed if you have to go back to a big blender or even worse if you don't have that. So this is one of those things I would say, I would qualify it as not being absolutely necessary, but once I got it, I loved it, um, and I use it all the time. Um, and so if you can get over the initial hump of purchasing it, I think you'll really enjoy once you have it, um, having it in your home bar and having yet another tool at your disposal. The recipe in this episode is called the Sea of Sin. Um, that's probably one of those recipe names that works better if you see it in print or online. So look at it on the website. Uh, the Sea of Sin is my simplified version of a jet pilot, test pilot, space pilot style drink. Um, one that was very popular with Don the Beachcomber. Uh, you'll find it on most, you know, sort of mid-century tiki bar menus. You'll find it on the Con Tiki menu. You'll find it still on the menu at Tiki Tea. You'll find something still at the Mai Kai. Um, it is a sort of a standard template and a really good drink. Um, this version is not as complex as the Jet Pilot. The Jet Pilot is one of my all-time favorites. Um, the recipe for the Jet Pilot itself is available in Sip and Safari by Beach Bumberry. If you don't have that book yet, go get it. There's a link in the show notes. Um, it's the prototype um, that Sip and Safari is kind of the prototype in a way for Beach Bumberry's latest book called Potions of the Caribbean, um, something that in future episodes I'll get into that. I'm still working my way through the book itself. Um, you can also find the recipe for the Jet Pilot in the brand new iOS app called Total Tiki, which is also linked to in the show notes. Uh, so anyways, the Jet Pilot being one of my favorite drinks, um, I wanted to experiment on the formulation, on the ratios and the flavors that are involved in that but make it a little bit simpler so it was easier for people to make if they had fewer ingredients in their bar. Uh, so this is, again, this is one simple to put together um, and the measurements themselves are pretty fast. The name itself, Sea of Sin, gonna be obvious when you either taste it or see the ingredient list or hear the ingredient list, why it's called Sea of Sin. Um, and, you know, a little bit of the play on words with the C-I-N-N. -N. Yeah, not that funny. Anyways, uh, quick recap, because this recipe uses cinnamon syrup. Uh, cinnamon syrup, we talked about a little bit more in episode 16, but as a quick recap, cinnamon syrup, no harder to make at home than simple syrup, so you should do it. Um, it is essentially a one-to-one, -one, or if you want to make it a little bit richer, a two-to-one ratio of sugar to water. And inside that, um, you put that in a sauce pot, crack, in, crack together like three sticks of cinnamon, 
and then bring that to a low boil, turn off the heat, let it sit for an hour or two so the cinnamon steeps in it, and then strain that into a jar, um, and you have cinnamon syrup. So pretty easy. So make some. The recipe itself uh, is two ounces of Demerara rum, in this case using the Eldorado 8, one ounce of lime juice, that is fresh squeezed and only fresh squeezed lime juice, 0.5 ounces of cinnamon syrup, 0.5 ounces of honey mix uh, mentioned in episode eight. That's again a, a heated 50 to 50 ratio of honey to water just to make it a little bit more fluid. And then 0.5 ounces of lemon heart 151. Combine all of those ingredients with one cup of crushed ice and blend together in a spindle mixer for five seconds. Pour unstrained into a tiki mug or a double old fashioned glass and then garnish with your favorite swizzle stick. All right, and I have mine right here in my tiki mug with my swizzle stick, so let's go ahead and give this a taste. Mmm. It's good. The cinnamon, very forward, as you would expect from something called the Sea of Sin. Um, also get the sour from the lime juice, a little bit of extra sweetness without the spice from the honey mix, and definitely a deep rum flavor. Um, there's not too many cocktail, or not too many ingredients in this cocktail, so pretty much everything you put in is what you're going to taste. Um, and again, nowhere near as complex as the Jet Pilot, one of my favorites, uh, but this is a fairly close approximation to the flavor profile um, without as much of the depth. Uh, I got no problem sipping on one of these, and I definitely have no problem serving one of these to one of my friends. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Show links will be up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website, number5minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. On iTunes, you can subscribe, you can rate the show, you can leave a review. Um, any of those things would be great um, if you have time to do it. The show is also on Twitter as at 5 Minutes of Rum. That's the at symbol, number 5 Minutes of Rum. Uh, you can send in comments, corrections, feedback, or requests uh, via either the 5 Minutes of Rum website or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum. <laughs>